Imagine what it'd be like if we were really curious about each other. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Relational Spirituality, the weekly podcast of LargerStory.com, the podcast that sees all relationships as spiritual and all spiritual formation as relational. Now here's your host for this week, Kep Crab. Welcome to Relational Spirituality, a larger story podcast. I'm your host, Kep Crab. And in this quarter of Relational Spirituality, we're going to be discussing themes and topics from the book Soul Talk. So today, without any further ado, we want to dive into part two of our conversation from last week with two seasoned counselors, Tom Board and Brian Fast. So here we are with part two, counseling from the other side, a look into the mind of a counselor. That was one of dad's favorite passages. And and, and the focus of that is the stirring up. Yes. What do we do now as, as we stir up each other? Tom, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to know with you and Jenny, um, obviously you're not in a small group with mom and dad anymore. Um, if you are, I'd like to sit in on that one with you for a while. Um, but um, but what are you guys doing uh, for for community now? I know all of us in in and I know all of our stories a little bit. We've all had challenges with church, um, and some maybe more severe than others, but 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 nonetheless challenges. And so as we uh, you know as you were talking, Brian, and you're talking about the groups. I'm in a in a men's group with two other guys that are 75 years old. Um, so I'm the, the the junior by 20 years and getting a chance to to journey with these guys has been really interesting for me. And obviously the group with you and I get a chance to do this with Roseanne all the time and talk with people and um, in, in, a, in a deep way. But but so, Tom, what are you uh, what are you doing? What are you and Jenny doing now for community in respect to some of that kind of stuff? Well, uh, to, to put it in a, in a context of kind of just how we think about it, um, it goes back to your other question was. Um, you know, what, what goes on for us when uh, I'm working at my office, I'm coming home to be with my kids, my family, whatever it was. Um, probably one of the things that, that has struck me over the years is that, um, I have an opportunity all day long to be in relationship with people that the spirit kind of brings into my path. And the difficulty is, is that all day long and every day I'm in different places internally. And so um, one of the things that I've had to get very comfortable with, and I think Jenny and I, I this is going to lead into your question, answering your question, Cap, is that um, when we're around people, sometimes people, and that could be my wife, could be my kids, my friends, clients, they could be needing a million dollars from me internally. And I'm, I, I have maybe 20 bucks in my pocket. That's all I have. And, and having learned um, a bit in this journey, and it's been very, very painful to learn this thing because I've, I, I'm kind of like Ryan. I, I really, as I mentioned before, I like to be competent. So to feel, to feel the incompetency and inadequacy in myself is always a temptation to kind of um, try to manage the space. And what I've tried to learn to do is learn how to give my $20, how to, how to give whatever it is that I have freely to those that are in front of me and who I'm with. And, and so that has been a very freeing thing relationally for us. And Jenny and I are in that place that it's not just about being in a, a particular community, though we do have relationships with people, we're a part of a church, um, but it's more of a mindset that we have that when we're ever around anybody um, to try to ask the question, what is it that I have to offer and what can I give? 
And, you know, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive that very deep thought. And, and I go for developing community, even in our, in our spiritual formation group, um, we really, it took a number of years. It took about five or six years to get really comfortable that we, that we weren't measuring ourselves or, um, uh, over being self-conscious about what's going on inside to really just give what we could give. And if it wasn't going anywhere to relax with that and, and to get very comfortable with ourselves in, in a, in a place where we're trying to actually listen to what's going on inside of us. So, um, that's kind of how I'd respond to it. Cause I think it kind of fits together as far as just the whole way we look at relating. So, We've got about five or six couples. We don't, we're not in a, a formation group, but we just have five or six couples that we're just close to. Yeah. And these are people that, and they're around the country that we can just talk to at any time. And we do. Um, I don't think we'll ever be able to uh, replicate what we had with Larry. That's just not going to happen. Okay. He, he brought a certain sense to that. But I think each of us that are in the group, um, we know that we have something to offer to the people that we relate with. And so we just try to give that. So, Church is a little different. We have a few people at church where uh, the pastor and the executive pastor and some other people in the church where they are journeyers. And so they are messy people. And we can kind of relate at a messy level, which just opens all sorts of doors to really talking about our lives in really good ways. And so that's been a real encouragement for us. I just have another thought about the, the link between work life and home life. Uh, that you brought up, Roseanne, and how we manage. Um, I just have a distinct impression of, of the Lord showing me that he wants me to be a better husband than I am a counselor. Mm. I was I was once uh, pretty nervous ahead of a session. Not, not that that's an unusual <laughs> or isolated event. Sometimes I am nervous before sessions quite often. But just in, in particular, I, I was anxious anxious that it went well, anxious that I got out of the way. And I, I prayed, I think, correctly, Lord, you know, please help me to get out of the way. You've got to, if, if, if you're not in charge of the session, nothing good is going to happen. I submit to you. I was on my knees, actually, in, in my closed office, uh, praying that way before I went down the hall to greet the client. And when I put my hand on the doorknob to open my, my office door to go out to greet the client, as I started to open the door, the Lord impressed on my heart, Brian, why do you pray like that on your way home? Mm, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a question, actually, why don't you pray like that on your way home? Because my, my false self is I want to show up as a good counselor, but I don't, I don't, I kind of take it easy at home and assume everything's going to be fine at home without that kind of energy and, and dependence on the spirit. And the Lord really, in a good way, convicted me that he, he wants me to rely on him as much or more for how I come through the door to greet Gene than how I go through the, the, the door to greet my clients. That's good. Dad used to say, real quickly, he just used to say, my commitment to, to, his, to my mom is not to be a good husband. He said, my commitment is to the Lord. And, um, and out of that, you'll be the beneficiary of me being a pretty good husband, I'm hoping. But, but, but that's, that's not my goal. That kind of reminds me of what you were talking about there. Sorry, Roseanne, you were going to say something. 
No, I was just thinking in those primary relationships, you know, there, I'm sure the people that you, um, that you serve as a counselor, both of you have, I, I know Tom, um, Kim Berg is a friend of mine and, and she's talked about the impact you had on, on her journey after she lost her son. Um, and, um, so I know, I know both of you make a, a tremendous impact with the people that you serve, but the reality is in the primary relationships of your life, nobody else can replace the role that you have, you know, um, people can get another counselor. <laughs> they can't get another dad or husband or, you know, um, hmm. it's important to, to have that same level of dependency. I mm -hmm. you were talking about Brian. Absolutely. Yeah. That's good. Second year of my counseling practice, my, I came home one night and just, this is just another story going along with Brian's. It's the same thing. It's just the spirit working, but unusual ways in this way was through my wife. I walk in the door and she says very kindly, she says, Tom, you give yourself to your clients all day long. And then when you come home, you don't have much for us. And then she just walked away. And, you know, my first reaction, of course, is very defensive. You know, just not, not all that godly. Like, what do you mean? You know, and, um, but as, as I pondered, I realized that there's really something true about that. And it led me to a dilemma. I, you know, I have to think differently about coming home because I was, I was splitting up my work life and my home life. And realizing that I, I, I wasn't being congruent with myself, that, that I was offering um, not the best parts of me to my family. And that's just, you know, even if it's, you know, that 20% again or whatever it is, but would I be willing to give it? And I just, that was a big learning lesson for me. of just struggling with trying to be there for them. And to a certain degree, I think with everybody else, you can... Uh, you know, regardless of what kind of work you do, you can put your best foot forward and you can kind of distance yourself when you, when you're not, don't have bandwidth to do that. But at home, they're going to see the cracks like nobody else. And, uh, and, and there's, there's a very real grace that God offers us by giving us people in, in close enough proximity that we can't hide from because it is, that is what makes us feel our desperation and, uh, and our need for him more than, more than anything else. Mm. It's good. Which is really my main point, which I've always kind of wondered just in talking to you guys a little bit. And also with dad is, you know, when your internal world is, is not in the place where it should be. I can't imagine how not just talking to someone else about their lives, but just everything I've had, I've had friends go through divorces and I, I think their productivity at work has to be zero because they just can't focus. They're just, you know, they're just preoccupied with what's going on. And so, um, so focused on that, that it, it takes them away from being able to, to lean into something else. And so that's kind of been, you know, where I've been with, um, with Kimmy. I mean, I think you're so right, Roseanne, nobody sees us like our spouses or those, those who, those, those primary relationships that, you know, I live with this woman and um, she sees the best and she sees the worst. And um, and uh, and she still she still accepts me and, and is with me. And I'm just so grateful. Uh, you know, I've I've had so many conversations with these guys um, 
Tom, you and I had breakfast a little bit ago and got a chance to share some things with you that were really special. But again, it's just fun to have people that I can still chat with that are older brothers of mine um, that uh, in many ways remind me of dad. Um, and that's uh, that's just such a privilege for me to have you guys uh, around in that way. And getting to know Brian and Gene and the group that we've been a part of now for almost two years. And God's doing something. Um, I, I feel it. I really do. The spirits movement this weekend was, was palpable. And um, I'm, you know, just grateful to chat with you guys today. One other thing that as we, as we, we continue to talk, I just, I'm looking at what dad was talking about in soul talk. He says to understand the battle going on within us that hinders that soul talk. What's what gets in the way of that? How can we how can we identify that releasing your passion for God and igniting that passion in others, and that's what Dad did so well um, and continues to do to me even on the other side, and then trade in the in the passing pleasures of this world for lasting joy. Trade that in. Um, I think one of the things that's impressed me in the last little bit is is how fleeting this world really is. Um, I was saying to Brian, we had such a good time this weekend. But if that's as good as it gets, I don't know if that's, you know, I mean, you know, there's more. We want more and we're built for more. Um, and that's why I think dad so oftentimes was, <laughs> wasn't very happy. He wanted more. And you got, you got to see that a lot, Tom. Be part of that group with him and um, got to experience that. How is that small group? In well, um, you know, Jenny, Jenny and I have all, we always ha have been really close to your mom and dad in the years that we've been together. And part of it is, is that um, even though we're different people, we have a very similar relationship in, in the sense that um, both Jenny and I and your mom and dad um, had a lot of freedom to be able to talk about what's going on inside and, and to be able to kind of really, really be our worst with each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that, that, um, I've had the privilege and the terror of early in, in our relating with your dad is I've seen him at his worst with your mom. I mean, when he was just madder than a hornet and, and not in a good way, <laughs> I mean, I, there was nothing drawing to that at all. And, and that didn't actually freak us out because, you know, um, the first year that we were in the program, um, one of our first counselors described Jenny and I as two volcanoes living in the same house. <laughs> so we were very expressionate of people. That is not an issue. So to see that in your mom and dad, it didn't freak us out, but it, it made us aware that they were both free with us to be that way in front of us. Yeah. And then to also watch them work that stuff through. And, um, I can actually say, I, I saw your dad radically change over those 20 some years in his relationship with your mom, uh, with Rachel. And, and I think a lot of it was the things we're talking about is that I think he really began to become a lot more internally reflective on what was going on inside of him. I don't think he was asking your mom to be different. I think he realized that I can see her differently and through a different lens. And I go, and that's a bit of a journey. You know, I mean, Jenny and I have been married almost 47 years. It takes a while to get to that place where you really begin to say, what is it that's going on in me that does not see my spouse through God's eyes yeah. and loving her, seeing all the flawedness. I'm very aware of Jenny's flawedness as Larry was with Rachel and somehow seeing um, the beauty that was there and, and staying with that 
um, in spite of all the other things we're seeing, that's not something easily discovered. I think it's a kind of a messy journey to get to that place. But I, I, I got to see that live in him. And I think Jenny and I got to kind of t trail behind, you know, trying to work on that stuff as they were out in front of us, us working on the same stuff. So dad said to me one time and Brian, I'll let you respond real quickly. But he said to me at my funeral, I don't want everybody to get up there and say good things about me. He said, let him, you know, I, I want to hear what you just said, Tom. I had the same story. Dad got, we got into a little bit of a argument and he got very frustrated with me and you saw some of that come out. And the next morning I addressed him and I said, dad, can I tell you how that impacts me? Which is of course is his, his question that he asked people. And I knew you'd say, absolutely, please do. And I said, it just makes me so hopeful because I see the most godly man I've ever known acting like a five-year-old spoiled child. <laughs> and, and he just sat there and went, mm-hmm. Yeah, didn't, didn't. But it was so it was so hopeful because I know that that's in him, which means I know it's in me. I mean, that it's in me in in spades. But um, but it's in him too. And even those stories, and that's that's great. Brian, you were going to say something, my man. Well, I just one of the things I was hoping to hear is just what Tom was saying about what the community was like in your small group with with Larry and Roseanne. You put it so interestingly. You, you said it's a grace to be in in close relationships where, where we can't hide what we're really like. And so Larry and Rachel were in a relationship with, with, with Tom and his wife like that. And on, so on the one hand, they can't hide on another, on another hand, Tom, you, you said that uh, Larry was willing to, to be real there. It, he didn't try to hide. He just worked it out. In, in front of you. And it just, it, it brought me back to one of his famous uh, phrases, which is, you know, the, the, the core, the essence of what transforms us in the Christian life, the way we experience grace is looking bad in the presence of love. You, you guys could look bad to each other in the presence of Christ's love and forgiveness and one another's love and forgiveness. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a, a a very precious commodity in our in our world. It's rare that people can let their false selves down and be what they're really like and encounter grace together. So that that stirs a question for me for you guys as counselors, because I, I see a lot of times in Christian circles where we know the right answers, right? We don't, we don't bring our story. We bring the right answer or we bring the right answer to somebody else's story. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which is worse like that. That's even worse. Um, but that can be such a barrier to genuine um, relationship to genuine growth, you know, where people, people respond to something out of what they know is the Jesus answer instead of actually being willing to engage their own story and its brokenness and to bring that and not just like a sort of a blanket. Oh yeah. I, yeah, I'm just a center to save by grace, but actually, but actually looking at, I know that I have a habit in this area when, when I, someone treats me in this particular way that this is, these are all the messages that start going through my head. And then I, easily react to that instead of responding to it and being able to talk about that honestly with other people. I have a group of, of three women that 
um, have been wonderful because we, I made reference to it in, in the podcast that's going to drop tomorrow, um, which will, by the time this airs will be last week. Um, we've, we've been on this journey of trying to buy a house and it's been, this is the fifth time in 14 years that we've tried to move. We're currently in a hundred year old house that we're in limbo. My kids are allergic to it. Like it's, there's just so many reasons we want to get out of this. And I can't tell you the number of times people have said, oh, it's okay that that perfect house fell through because God has something better for you. And I just want to throw things wherever oh. they say that. I'm 32. Because it's not helpful. <laughs> it is not helpful. Do I believe that God sees the bigger picture and that he's doing work in us? At Matt? Yes, I believe all of that. But I'm also tired of of living in boxes and, you know, all the limbo and all of the, all of the stuff. And it's, and I'm, I've been so grateful for my three friends who have let me rant and cry and like, and, and be self-pitying and all of the things that I've, all the places I've been and have yeah. been able to sit with that and still be able to believe that God's doing something bigger than the demandingness that I feel in the moment, you know, that there's more to what he's creating in me than, than the part that's is resentful or self-pitying or, um, or doubting, you know, whatever's up in the moment. Um, so my question for you is, and I know part of this is just the work of the Holy spirit, but when you're dealing with people who are bringing like the truth of scripture instead of the truth of themselves. <laughs> what do you do with that? How, how, what goes through your mind as you're having those conversations? Well, one thing that um, I, I was hoping that we could talk about this, I, another context that I've been living in, in the, the past year is leading two spiritual formation groups for pastors. Oh yeah. I bet you, yeah, I bet you run into it there. <laughs> When somebody's sharing their story, guess what other pastors want to do, right? <laughs> exactly. That. Just, yeah. you know, give advice, read a scripture, share an encouragement, but it's really not encouraging, you know? Right, right. What we've come to do, this comes out of some influence from um, two other colleagues in my in my um, counseling center, Paul Caprera and Perry Sherman, who are part of a Men at the Cross organization mm -hmm. that it's, I've gotten involved in it lately. It, it's, it's helped a lot. But one, one thing they say, it, as you're trying to build community or a, a safety in a group is no advice giving. Mm -hmm. when, when you're sharing your story, Roseanne, we would call that giving, giving the gift of your story. Mm -hmm. And we honor that. And then if somebody else starts to give advice, they, we say, hold on a second. Roseanne just gave the gift of her story. If you'd like to give the gift of your story and say something that's coming up in your life, that's great. But not save the advice. It, it's not helpful here. And it's a little bit, uh, it requires some relearning. But when, when, when the advice doesn't happen, but somebody goes, oh, and that, oh, I hear you. And I felt that way before. Just empathize instead of, you know, take over the conversation, it helps the group be much more safe. It helps the community be more 
be more Trinitarian, be more real church. Dad was never a, a formula guy, but I love what you're saying, Brian, in respect to some handles that maybe can give you some, some guide rails as you're doing that. Are there anything else that you guys can think of in respect to those guide rails? Um, one of those things is don't give advice, like you just said, Brian. Other things that you guys might think of in respect to a counseling session of things that maybe you wouldn't want to do or would want to do in respect to some of those guide rails or um, guide posts? Well, another in the same um, kind of place in my head is, is be, be aware of what's going on in you. We, we give advice because we're not aware we're anxious and we're, we're just trying to take care of ourselves. But if we could stop and just be aware, I, this is making me uncomfortable, you know, and, and be, be willing to say that rather than just, you know, manage our, our feelings by, by, uh, you know, advice giving. Hmm. I think another one that I would add that um, as I've supervised a lot of uh, counselors is that um, there are a lot of times um, taking what you were saying, Roseanne, when people tell stories that, you become really aware internally that I have absolutely no idea where to go with this. <laughs> um, I have no idea what to say. I don't, I don't know um, what, what's important. And um, kind of the rule of thumb that I, I share people when, when you're in a place where you really don't know where to go, be curious, mm -hmm. um, ask a question, keep going with it. And, and you never know um, as a person starts talking more about where they're at where the spirit of God can begin to kind of whisper something in your ear as far as what, what might be a thought to move into that person. Cause if you don't know, um, if you can't see a place to move in, you don't push your way in. Um, you're gently trying to listen more to find um, one of the phrases that Larry used many years with me is just find the subtlest crack where someone opens a little bit of their soul that you can enter into. Mm. And many times when people tell stories, they're so pissed off. They, they, there's no crack. I mean, they're just pushing you away and there's no place in. And so you just, you have to be very comfortable with the fact that there's not an invitation to come in, but you never know when you ask another question or you'd be a little more curious, maybe something softens and you find a little place where you can begin to enter into that kindly um, to, to learn more about what's going on inside of them underneath all the struggles that they're feeling at that place. That'd be my thought. That's so good. Yeah. I, I love that, that phrase, curiosity, sacred curiosity. And, and if, if they give you the crack, you know, to, sometimes it's, it's just a, a simple matter of saying, can, can you say more about that? Can you put some more words to that? That's all it's needed. And then it, the crack opens wider. What's interesting, Tom, you said that when, when dad wrote Soul Talk uh, in, the, in the early 2000s, that's kind of when you started to see a little bit of that shift in respect to relating like the Trinity. That's um, correct. And that's, and that's really, you know, what you're talking about now, which is why we thought this was so appropriate to have you guys on as we introduce soul talk to the larger story crowd. Um, we're kind of going through a, a bunch of different books. And this was one that um, I think was the beginning of dad really moving in uh, actually the follow-up almost even to connecting to some degree, but, um, of, of what it, what it looks like to have conversations that matter. That was a, a, a phrase that he loved. And, um, and Brian, we had some of those this weekend. It was really powerful. Um, and, um, this has just been really, really fun to get a chance to chat with you guys. And I just appreciate 
I appreciate both of you so much. And I certainly appreciate Roseanne. I get to work with her every day, but to see, but to see you guys here and get a chance to pick your brains. Um, is there anything else, Roseanne, you can think of as we get ready to close with these guys? I am kind of curious. Uh, you, we talked a little bit about the, the, the challenge of what's going on in you while you're sitting with somebody. And then how do you take, go home? The more you've learned to be present and aware in the moment and kind of open-handed, has that made it easier to go home and to not bring work home in an, in a difficult way? And I'm asking this part of what I'm thinking as I ask this is I have a daughter who's planning to go into counseling and one, one place where she gets caught when she has conversations with people is she rehearses the conversation in her mind afterwards and, and she'll get caught in thinking, oh, I should have said this, or I should have asked this, or like, I should have done better. And so one of the conversations she and I have it, is like, you can't control this. You, you can be present but and you can be sensitive to the holy spirit but you're not there's not going to be a right way to do this as you've as you've learned to let go of that in your counseling has that made it easier to come home or does it not necessarily translate that way well one of the things i can i can say um you know when i got out of the counseling program with dan and larry they were very very clear that that leaving the program you're not actually very good um <laughs> okay i'm gonna i'm gonna use a, 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 a you know a term basically you're gonna suck at being a counselor for at least five years and and um one one of them said to me that um it's the only profession i know that the only way to get better is to fail meaning that you're going to be with people and you're going to fail meaning you're going to be self-absorbed and you're going to be lost in yourself. And it creates the opportunity. Um, and that's why I say good supervision can be very helpful. And not the kind of supervision that's trying to help you understand what's going on in your client. But the kind of supervision that asks you a question, what's going on in you yeah. as a counselor? And to begin to understand all the different things that are happening in you so that you can actually be more present. And that never ends. So frankly, you know, I struggle with an incredible amount of entitlement that I've worked really hard for nine hours. I want to come home and I don't want to talk to things. Right. Uh -huh. And God has often convicted me about that place. And it's like, it, it never goes away. It's always there. And um, I think it's a bit of getting comfortable with this journey is never actually easy. What it is, is you get more familiar with the reality of it. And so therefore you become a little more comfortable with the struggling of it, but it's not pleasant. It's just, it's work all the time. Yeah. It, it's very exposing of, of your, of your weaknesses. I think of a couple of things when you're thinking of going home afterward, you can have two, two different things you're carrying. One is regrets about, I could have said this, I should have said that, or, you know, why did I do that? Um, and the other is, you know, just the, the weight of what a person has shared with you and the, the struggles that people go through in life. Um, with, with that, with the, the struggles people go through, I, I started by saying, you're, I, 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 I learned you really shouldn't pray as you start to, to counsel. And I, I don't believe that. I pray all the time. But particularly, I pray at the end of the session. I like to save 
you know, maybe five minutes at the end to say, okay, let's, let's take some time and pray. One person a long time ago shared with me his perspective on, on counseling was counseling is informed intercession. Mm -hmm. You spend 45 minutes uh, hearing what's going on and five minutes interceding. <laughs> and I, there's other models, but I, that helps me as a counselor to just, okay, here's what I've heard. And I just want to bring you before the Lord together before we leave. That, it, I think it helps them. Often there's tears and, and what I've prayed has, has helped, but it also helps me because I've cast my cares on, on the Lord and I go home lighter mm -hmm. session by session because of that. Uh, the, the other one about um, what could I have done different or, you know, regrets of, of what I said. Pastors will say this, you know, they'll, they'll give a sermon and they'll think they made a mistake. They forgot a line or misquoted a verse. But when people talk to them about what impacted them from the sermon, it has nothing to do with that. Mm -hmm. And same often with counseling. I, somebody will tell me, you know, I, I'll see them years, years later or a couple of sessions later and say, you know, what you said really, really impacted me. And I, I couldn't wait to hear what they said. And it was never what I hoped they would say. You know, it was never <laughs> that great insight I thought I had. It was something else. It was just spontaneous and God uses it. So even with your daughter and, you know, she might think she's, she's messing up here and there. And we all do. Absolutely. But God uses things that we're, we're not in control of. And, and I, I don't think we, I think it's good to know that, that he's going to be in, at work, whether, uh, whether you know it or not. And sometimes in very unexpected ways. The, the pressure's off as we engage in soul talk. Right. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I love that brand. Beautiful. And and so I can't. Uh, that's what I've told her before. You know, you're you're kind and you're wise. I can't imagine that the person didn't walk away better from having talked to you, even mm -hmm. if you didn't say all all the right things. <laughs> you know, so great to hear your vision of her. And I love the notion of the pressures off in the sense there's really nothing that we can do. And I think what you just said there, Brian, is what you, when you expect. To, to, to have the most impact, that's probably when you have the least. Yeah. When you, when you expect, when you, when you felt like you've had the least impact is probably when you've had the most. Often. That's just the, 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 often. Yeah. That's the way the Holy Spirit just says, I, I'm the one here who's doing the heavy lifting. Yes. You just, uh, you just, you know, stay on track. So this has been really, really, really fun guys uh, to be with y'all. Um, and uh, I just really appreciate your time. And um, what we're trying to do with larger story is, um, is what does it mean to relate like Jesus to people and how can we put Jesus on display? And, um, and dad gave us an example of that in so many different ways that continue to linger. Uh, I know with me and I know with you all as well. So yeah, thanks for joining us today, guys. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Join us next week in our next one. And if you don't have a copy of soul talk, go to larger and get yourself a copy today. Thank y'all. If you like what you heard today, hit the like button just below. Then come back by subscribing to our podcast channel. For more resources on relational spirituality, go to our website at largerstory.com.